Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,283. Today we're going to be talking NASCAR, so buckle up and be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Mooresville, North Carolina. In North Carolina, we think about racing a little bit, so we're going to be talking about that with a very special returning guest, Kelly Crandall. Kelly, welcome back to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right, we're going to have some fun. Now, Kelly was on the show back in the midst of the depths, I should say, of COVID time. Uh, you were guest number 1952 um, back in November of 2021. Things have improved, obviously. <laughs> Let's hope they keep improving uh, in that direction. But uh, we talked a lot about your career back then, and we're going to be talking about it as well today, and most specifically a book, your first book that you've published. So I always ask guests, tell us one little thing that most people don't know about you. Is that your new thing you can say? I'm a an author now? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I guess that will have to be my go-to response. So that that's pretty cool. It's it, It'll sound cliche, but it truly is a dream come true as someone who has been an avid reader all of my life. I, I say that I live in Barnes & Noble and I find bookstores everywhere I go. So this truly is a, a dream for me. So yes, I think that will be my, my new go-to is that, uh, yes, I am a published author as of next month. We're getting closer. <laughs> Well, it's quite an amazing book, and, and you teamed up with some great people. So let me give you a little introduction around this, and then we will dive into what you did here. Kelly Crandall has been on the NASCAR beat full-time since 2013. She joined Eraser.com as chief NASCAR writer in 2017, and her work has also appeared in NASCAR.com, NASCAR Illustrated Magazine, and NBC Sports. A corporate communications graduate from Central Penn College, Kelly is a two-time George Cunningham Writer of the Year. Now she's written a book. Uh, receipts from the National Motorsports Press Association and is currently in her second term serving as the organization's president. She also is the host of Race Writers Podcast, where she interviews and brings stories from drivers and personalities in NASCAR, NHRA, and a whole lot more. So her latest book is titled NASCAR 75 Years, which she co-authored with Al Pierce, Mike Hembree, and Jimmy Creed. It's a thrilling illustrational story of NASCAR stock racing in America a decade-by-decade history celebrating photography, legendary drivers, teams, and so much more. And, of course, the book is published by our friends at Motorbooks. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love. They keep the gas in the tanks here. We'll take a pit stop, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collector's Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collector's Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner 
that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Thinking about selling your classic or exotic car? Selling a classic or specialty car can be very complicated. Where to list it? How to take the best photos and videos? What information should you be including? How to answer tough questions from potential buyers? It can be a lot to handle, and doing these things wrong can cost you thousands of dollars. But don't worry. My friends at Classic.com are here to help. Classic.com pros know how to properly market your automobile, plus they'll help you determine the proper asking price, define your marketing strategy, strategy, present the offer, and they'll handle all the inquiries, removing you and your emotions from the equation. I have no doubt that your special ride is unique, and your marketing plan should be too. So be smart. Contact the experienced pros at Classic.com today. Their extensive network will ensure your car gets in front of qualified buyers. They will eliminate those pesky tire kickers and scammers. Plus, when your vehicle sells, they'll handle all the paperwork and logistics, making the entire process like a nice drive in the country. Talk to the pros today about selling your car. Just go to classic.com slash cars. Yeah, today and tell them Mark sent you. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Kelly, this is pretty cool, this new book. But first, I want to talk a little bit about how things have changed in the last few years with your career. And we'll start with the podcast, since you're nice enough to be on my podcast today. Uh, I'm not a NASCAR driver, so I'm probably not going to make it to the higher echelons of your podcast. But how's the podcast going? It's going great. We're 255 episodes in now, I believe. Great. It's been fantastic. The the growth of it, the excitement by listeners waiting for episodes each week and sending suggestions of folks that they would like to hear from and the names, the drivers and the people in whether it's NASCAR or NHRA, as you mentioned, or anybody that, that I'm able to get on the show has been uh, absolutely fantastic. So folks from Dale Earnhardt Jr. to Jimmy Johnson to Haley Deegan and other development drivers coming up the ladder to crew chiefs and uh, in NHRA having champions like Brittany Force and Antron Brown and uh, Tony Stewart now after he started his team and, and getting that sit down with him. So it's been tremendous. Like I said, it, it's really grown so much over the last couple of years. And uh, hopefully I, I'm getting better with it as I go. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to sit down and really just 
try to have different conversations with folks than what I do on a week to week basis covering racing and covering what's going on on the racetrack and those topics. So to really get to know people has been the most fun uh, with the podcast. Oh, definitely. It's it's the same for me as well. And the thing I've learned is it really is all this car stuff. Racing is all about the people really versus the racing itself. I've always thought they need to do that uh, Drive to Survive documentary they did on F1. They need to do one on NASCAR. Are they working on that? Do you have any idea there? They should, I think. There's been so many talks over the last couple of years of different documentaries or ideas or things that NASCAR's wanted to do. They did have that one on on uh, USA, I believe it was last year, and and I, you know, I know folks like that. It was a little bit of a different look, but yeah, there's still that hunger for something exactly like Drive to Survive, that behind the scenes, inside look. Because as you said, it's all about people. It's all about personalities. Whether it's NASCAR, NHRA, where, wherever in racing, it's all about the people and personalities. And um, so yeah, there there's big hunger for that. I haven't heard anything about whether they're going to do that again this year. Uh, you know, that same type of uh, docu-series that they did last year on USA. And I know some folks were hoping it would air earlier in the day. I think it aired at like 10 p.m. on USA (laughs) Network or whatever it was. So that was a bummer. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if if Netflix will ever be involved. And uh, I know the same folks that did the F1 Drive to Survive. They've now been involved with, they've done one on tennis and they've done one on Golf? Golf, I think, yeah. Yeah, and they're also going to be doing one on, they just announced uh, last week, I think it was, that they're going to be doing one on Major League Soccer. So I, I see all of this, and I'm like, all right, come on, NASCAR NASCAR needs to give up the reins here and let somebody else come in and, and take take control and do it. So who knows? Uh, there There's definitely a hunger for it, though. Well, I think you give up the reins is probably a good way to put it. There's so much uh, politics involved in the back end, the office end of all this racing to to be able to pull all that off and get it done and all the entities. can't even imagine the tangled web of, uh, of spiders that could happen there. Well, this book that you put together, I mean, NASCAR is such a popular form of racing here in the United States. It's the big popular form of racing. In writing this book, why do you think that is? What is it about NASCAR that has just intrigued so many people. It keeps pulling people in. Is it the people? I mean, if you go back to the original NASCAR so-called rum runners or, you know, bootleggers or whatever driving and go, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Maybe we should do a race. It's kind of where it all started with people doing crazy things and then all the stories throughout the years. Why is it so popular? Well, it certainly has gone through its ebbs and flows of popularity. Of course, you know, the early 2000s, the late 90s is when it really spiked in popularity and you were selling out racetracks and you look at all the grandstands that could fit, what, 300,000 people. Yeah. And it, it was absolutely crazy. And and it's definitely not that way anymore, but it is. It's still very, very popular here in the United States. I think it probably leads the way of all motorsports entities in the United States over IndyCar and IMSA and whatever else it may be. So, I think you hit on it, though. I think it's just because look at its history. And that's something that this book is going to do a fantastic job of showing is how it started and how it's evolved over the years. You know, that decade by decade look, as you said, 
it started with bootleggers. It started with moonshine. It started by trying to evade local law enforcement. And then, you know, to the beaches of Daytona and Bill France Sr., who had a vision for something that could be sanctioned and visions for super speedways like Daytona and Talladega. And so, again, you'll see in this book, it, it's an incredible story, like you said, of, of where of where this sport came from, how it's grown over the years. And yes, I think you do get to a point where it does become about the people. You look at drivers over the years that have been some of the more popular ones, it's because they're relatable or their related fans think they're relatable, right? Dale Earnhardt, everybody said was the guy that they felt like they could have a beer with. He's racing on Sunday and he's on the farm on Monday. Whereas Jeff Gordon was the opposite, right? He is the model type hosting Saturday Night Live and cleaned up and polished. But there was folks that liked that too. So there's a little bit of everything. And there was there's something for everyone. So I think to your original question about what makes NASCAR so popular, I, I think that's what it is. I think it's because it's an amazing story of 75 years now of how it's evolved. And then it gets down to, like I said, the people and that old saying of what ordinary men doing extraordinary things or now in this case men and women so yeah I, I i think it's a little bit of everything but i think again as this book shows it's just what an impressive story of, of where it came from and how it came to be it's a big long story and it's a big long book that's for sure i mean this thing is huge and it's awesome is that why you have multiple authors you teamed up with some other people on the show did you did you guys take the book in sections and each work on different sections or did you work together on everything? How does that work when you have multiple authors? So it's, it's interesting, at least from my perspective, I can only talk about, of course, you know, how I was brought on board, which, which I, I think is a really cool story. So what happened for me was it was Daytona 2022 speed weeks mm -hmm. and Mike Hembry, who is also a, a, a co-author on this book approached me and said that this is a project that's in the works and he was doing a section on it. And would I be interested in talking to the publisher about being involved and I was blown away and I said, absolutely. And it was literally later that day that I got an email from the publisher asking, you know, what section would I want to take? How much of it did I want to take? And I just jumped on it and said, I'll take all of the 2000s. So I'll take 2000 to current day. So that's how I was brought on board. That was how I took it. Um, so yeah, I can only speak to myself, but I'm assuming, yes, they wanted to break it up and, and everybody got to focus on their section. I didn't work with anybody else. I stuck to my job and uh, what I had to do. Of course, you know, listen, I talked to Mike Hembry a bunch in general. I, I consider him a really close just colleague. And so he's written books before. So I was always like tossing little questions and ideas his way about, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I'm doing it. Do you think this is a, this is a good thing? And so I would get feedback from him, but we didn't work together. I, I think every, at least again, from my perspective, everybody worked on their own, did their sections. But yeah, I can't speak to how the, the publisher, if that was the goal in the beginning, but I'm assuming it was when you're trying to split this up decade by decade. But I came in and was just, uh, you know, flat out and said, I'll, I'll take all of the 2000s. So I don't know if they would have had to get other people if I had only taken a little bit. But I uh, I was more than happy to, to wrap my hands around it and, and take on that whole section. So as a first time author, was it and being someone who wanted to do a book in your career and hopefully more books in the future? Was it everything you dreamed it would be or was it different? 
Well, I think it was a little different again, because you're not doing the whole book, right? But I have nothing, of course, to, to compare it to. So again, just looking at this experience, and maybe as you said, what I thought it would be being involved in a book process, it was stressful. It was exciting, because I really wanted to try to fit as much as possible in that section. And when, of course, when you have word limits, and you have different formats, you have to follow, of course, with what the, the publisher wants. That was stressful. It was also stressful, because I still have a full-time daily job of covering the sport, right? So Monday through Sunday, I'm still covering the sport and taking care of my responsibilities for racer.com. And then it's, okay, how much time should I devote to writing today? And uh, I'll wait till tonight and I'll, I'll get every, all the racer stuff out of the way during the day and I'll sit down at night and work on the book. So it was, I say stressful just because I put that on myself. Like I, I'm a perfectionist and I, I, I want to do great things, but it was also exciting to sit down and say, wow, this is something that I'm a part of doing and, and to go through and try to remind yourself of everything from these decades, from the 2000s, the 2010s. And then again, what are you going to include? What are you not going to include? So it was, there was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of different things <laughs> of, of what I thought it was going to be and then actually working on it. And I will say that when I got to the end of it, it was it was very rewarding. But then I said to myself, I don't know how people write full books themselves if they still have other jobs they have to do. Because the time management, like I said, that that was the most interesting part. But it was a ton of fun as well. I, I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't enjoyable. It was a ton of fun, but it was certainly a learning experience along the way. Absolutely. What was one of the biggest surprises you uncovered that you kind of thought you knew this period of time because you've worked in the industry for a long time? But what was one of the biggest surprises that came to you in, in writing about this period of NASCAR? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if anything was really surprising. I think it was what I had just mentioned. It was more of just being reminded of how much has happened, even in just the 2000s, like I said. So I started from the year 2000 and went all the way up, of course, to present day. And we were updating it as much as possible to the end of 2022, of course. So I wouldn't say I was surprised. I think it was more of, again, reminding myself of how much has happened just in the 2000s. And what should be included? What shouldn't be included? What do I have space to include? What should get priority? Because again, think about it. You, we started, we NASCAR started the 2000s with a rash of driver deaths. So safety was at the forefront of the sport. The Hans device, the Hutchins device, the soft walls, changing things with the race cars. Then the COT comes along in 2007. So you have all of that. You have drivers coming and going, you right? You have Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the rise. You have the changes to the playoff format in 2004, which keeps evolving through the years. The car keeps evolving. You have Bill France Jr. on his way out. Here comes Brian France. You have the TV packages and how those have changed. And then, like I said, then you have the racing. Then you have what you're trying to focus on, what part of the racing and the races are memorable. What So... That to me is, is again, that it wasn't surprising. That's what stood out was so much has happened in a short amount of time and trying to figure out how to squeeze it all into these sections. And, and like I said, what gets priority? Because I will admit, I probably could have been fancier in the way that I presented these decades with just my writing style. 
but it was more of I made the decision of, okay, I'm just going to play it straightforward and, again, just try to stick to here's a little bit what, what was happening on the racetrack and then here are some of the major topics that was happening off the racetrack, whether, again, it was drivers, personalities, safety innovations, schedule changes, TV packages. So I was I, that's what I was focused on is trying to mix all of that together. So that's what stood out to me. I wouldn't say there's anything really that popped up that I was surprised or that I didn't know. It, again, it was more of just refreshing my memory and coming across things that was like, oh, yeah, that did happen in 2004 or this driver did do this or this invention did happen here or double file restarts and lucky dogs and no more racing back to the caution. There's just, it was a lot. It seemed like every time I found one thing, 10 more things followed and the legal pad that I was working with, it was just page after page of, okay, I'm not going to fit all of this in. Now you've got me stressed out just thinking about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, there's just, it just, it's like an onion that just keeps opening and opening and opening and the tears probably keep flowing and flowing. I mean, her eyes like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? I'm sure there's going to be people who who read this. And again, I haven't even finished reading um, other, whether it's Jimmy's section or Mike's section or Al's section. I haven't had a chance yet to really sit down and dig into their sections. But the cool thing is, is again, we all have different writing styles. So we all probably handled it differently, right? I just told you how I approached mine. So I'm sure there's going to be readers who read this book and they're going to get a little bit of everything from all of us of how we presented those those decades that we tackled. Whereas again, you might get to the 2000s or, or I might go read the 1990s and say, Oh, why did they include this? Or why, you know, I really want to know more about this. But again, it was that, it was that balance of how you wanted to present it and just trying to squeeze in so much. So I, even as a reader, am looking forward to sitting down when I have a chance and digging into Mike Hembry's section and digging into Al Pierce's section and seeing how they presented things and if they did it differently than I did. Oh, probably. I mean, everybody, all authors have a different touch in a different style, that's for sure. Okay, here's a big question for you. Will NASCAR ever go EV? (laughs) Oh, gosh. You know, that's been a big topic of conversation. I say a big topic of conversation in the sense of I keep hearing the questions more and more. I feel like NASCAR and the manufacturers are facing that question on a more routine basis the last couple of years. I feel like from NASCAR's perspective, they've said the last couple of years that whether, yeah, EV, hybrid, there's, there are some things that they want to look at to try to incorporate into the sport, but you don't want to lose the essence of what makes NASCAR NASCAR, which is the sound, which is the feel. So I think they have to figure out a way to do that. And then from a manufacturer's and engine builder's perspective of, does it make sense for them to do that? And I think that's what they're exploring is they're trying to understand, does this, would this be a good thing for the racing? Would it be a good thing for their product? So I don't know if they ever will. I think the door is open because, again, the the question keeps coming up. And I think it's something that they're all seriously looking at. But again, it's going like anything. It's going to come down to does it make sense and can we do it without affecting the integrity of the product and the integrity of the sport that we that we know and love? Uh, Yeah, we we will see, I guess, as they say. Now, I like to ask people about mentors in their lives or people who are inspiring. When you think about the book in particular and this period of time, this may be like asking who your favorite child is. 
This isn't about favorites, though. This is about inspiring people. So if you take one driver from this period that you focused on that you would say was most inspiring to you, for whatever reason, you can explain that, who would it be? Oh, man. Well, listen, a lot of the 2000s is dominated by Jimmy Johnson, right? So Jimmy and, and his seven championships, Tony Stewart winning his three championships and doing one of them in 2011 as a driver owner, or even not even championship wise. You look at drivers like Jamie McMurray, who both who burst onto the scene, filling in for Sterling Marlin and his rise as the next big thing. Um yeah, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> of course, that that's a tough one. We're talking about in well, I mean, because I love the question of of who inspires you. I mean, I, the easy answer I, I say it's easy, but but I'll go back and say Jimmy Johnson in the sense of I just have always respected Jimmy's work ethic, and I've always respected how he's treated people, how he's handled himself through the good and the bad. The cool thing about Jimmy is that no matter what has gone on with him, whether he's been successful and he was winning championships and winning races, Jimmy Johnson never changed from the day he came into NASCAR until the day that he left. Well, he's back now, of course, as a team owner, but when, when he briefly left us, he has never changed. He's always been down to earth. He's always been very, very humble. And every day he woke up, he and that 48 team woke up as if they hadn't accomplished anything the day before. And it was a clean slate. So I've always respected Jimmy in that sense. And again, making it a little bit personal, the fact of, as I said, how he's interacted with people, how he's handled media obligations, how he engages in interviews. I always appreciate drivers that when they are doing media, they are engaged with what they're doing. They're listening to the question and they're answering the question. They're not just going off and, and saying words and saying whatever they want. They are giving you an answer with substance to the question that you asked. So, yeah, I would say that's pretty inspiring. Like I said, I, I really have appreciated just the way that he has handled himself from his work ethic to always wanting to be better to never wanting to have a bad day. No bad racetracks. We're going to get better. Uh, and again, just the way he handled himself outside the car as well positivity. Now challenges. Uh, what was the biggest challenge in writing your first book? Well, I think it goes back to what I said before the time management of, um, you know, still having daily requirements for racer.com. And am I giving enough attention to the book today? Should I be spending more time on it today? Is it okay if I don't do anything today and I wait until, you know, something calms down? So, it was it was that it was the time management. It was, uh, as I said, of uh, especially on race weekends, knowing I wasn't going to work on the book at all because of, you know, how busy race weekends get and just all the requirements that I had with the website. And I, I also mentioned it, too. It's just uh, I can't stress enough of what to include and what not to include. <laughs> right. That, that really was for, when I sat down and I started this, it was, OK, how do I want to approach these sections in what way do I want to present these sections? Do I want to be fancy and tell the stories of drivers? Or do I want to, again, play it straightforward and kind of go year by year and kind of week by week of laying out how that season happened and who the champion was and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it was time management and, and again, really trying to figure out what was the best way to present those chapters. And do I focus on trying to be, I say, be fancy of, again, the writing style and 
you know, trying to be uh, fun in that regard or, or do I just keep it straightforward? So those were the, those were the two biggest things to me. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Now, I like to ask guests about a favorite vehicle story. Again, this is all about this new book of yours. So we're going to twist this question up a little bit. Of this period in NASCAR, what's your favorite car? <laughs> well, I always say the Twisted Sister. That was the car in the early 2000s. That was the nickname of it. So that was the car where it was so skewed out, right? It was, you, If you looked at it head on, it was, I think it would have been probably... I'm trying to think if you looked at it head on or over or overhead, there was always one, one rear side of it that was always like buffed out or, or came out more yeah. uh, than yeah. the other side. So they always called it the twisted sister just because of how it kind of crab walked. So I say that car because that's also my earliest memories of watching racing was with that race car. And that's the car that I just go back to when I think of, again, co- coming in, watching the sport and falling in love with the sport is how those cars look. They were so down on the ground and uh, team valence, by the way, uh, uh, for anybody who always loves that debate on social media, hashtag team valence instead of team splitter. <laughs> so, you know, the valence and the side skirts and just, yeah, the the small spoilers. And uh, so the Twisted Sister cars were always my favorite. And I always felt like paint schemes on those cars just look better than they have the last couple years. Like as the car has gotten boxier i guess you would say uh the the some schemes they just don't work and and like i said the cars just look so different the boxier they've they've gotten so my heart will always be with the cars from the late 90s early 2000s of again the the twisted sister cars and yeah just the way that again as they would crab walk down the straightaways that that always made me laugh very cool nicely done so since i'm a car psychologist having spoken with so many people i always ask people if they were re incarnated as a vehicle manifest this isn't what you want to be though this is how you perceive yourself as the woman in the mirror how you work how you conduct yourself in life which nascar are you i really thought about cheating and going back to our conversation from a couple years ago and just saying the same thing that i said then but i didn't i don't even remember what i said then so i guess how i'm feeling today would just uh, probably a dodge charger they just look cool and they just have that throaty sound when you throttle up. So yeah, just want to I want to look look good, kind of look intimidating when I have to look intimidating. You know, head down, get the job done, and and then yeah, when you put the pedal to the floor, it's all out and have some power. So well, you know, it's kind of funny because. The day we're recording the show with you, the guest today on Cars Yes, Chris Jacobs, TV personality and, you know, car guy. And he was on the show to talk about his relationship and partnership with Finale Speed, which is a company building carbon fiber bodied kind of retro cars. And they do a 70 Charger all in carbon with all bespoke. It's like getting an old car new you know, like the Singer Porsches or some of the others, a lot of other people doing these kind of things now. But the fact you mentioned the Dodge Charger, and of course you go to the 1970, which is the model they picked, which is kind of the epitome of that. You know, the car's still around today, but yeah, I can see you as a Dodge Charger. You're a Charger. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Nicely answered. Well, again, today we're talking about this book, NASCAR, 75 Years, co-authored by Al Pierce, Mike Embry, and of course, our guest today, Kelly Crandall and Jimmy Creed. So very cool. I'll put a link to where you can get your hands on the book. Is the book coming out? Is it out now or is it next month? What's the, the date they can start buying? 
So you can start buying now. You can pre-order it. It's available for pre-order uh, many different places. It's going to be available basically wherever you can get books. So you can go through the publisher at Motor Books, but they also will link it to Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble, a lot of independent bookstores as well. So you should be able to find it anywhere that you get books. You can also go to Google and type in NASCAR 75 Years Book and it will come up. NASCAR.com, I believe, is also selling it on their online shop. So it's available for pre-order now. And the publishing date, if you want to pick it up in person at a bookstore, is April 11th. There we go. Very cool. So I always enable my guests to go on what I call the ultimate drive. We talked about this before, but this time I'm going to put you in the right seat. We'll put a right seat in that car with any NASCAR driver, even somebody from the past who's no longer with us in any track. So which car, which driver and which track would Kelly Crandall like to go for a couple laps? I've done a ride along with Joey Logano at Daytona. So that's fun. So this this one pops into my mind because I ha I was doing a series of stories on Jimmy Johnson during the winter and when I talked to Matt Kenseth he reminded me of a race that he and Jimmy had had back when they were competing for a championship. I think it was 2007 at Texas. I think that was still the era of the Twisted Sister car ironically enough. But you can find this on YouTube if you go look it up of Jimmy Johnson, Matt Kenseth, Texas. This was the fall 2007 Texas race. Again, championship playoff race. Matt would have needed some help to really win the championship. Jimmy was in control of the championship hunt. And they had this battle, this back and forth battle for the win of this race where they were sliding all over the place, passing each other back and forth, side by side. So if I could... Again, because this is fresh in my mind, I would want to be in one of those two race cars on the right side while they're doing that. Because, again, you go watch it on YouTube. I can't stress enough of how out of control and all over the place these cars were and, and how hard they were fighting each other. And when you think of it, again, from Jimmy's perspective, somebody who's controlling the championship, as, as Matt Kenseth said, he thought for sure, okay, he's going to back off and he's going to play it safe, just take a second place finish because he doesn't want to bust his butt and jeopardize his championship points. And that's not what happened. It was lap after lap of these two hounding each other side by side, getting loose, sliding all over the place on older tires. Uh, I think that would be a blast. So I'd probably want to be in the right side of one of those cars because that was still to this day uh, a memorable, memorable battle. And uh the old Texas Motor Speedway before they reconfigured it and messed it up, in my opinion. So, uh, yeah, uh, probably in one of the, in that car, the, the 2007 car at, at Texas and uh, just sliding around and having a whole bunch of fun with that. Wow, you took it to the next level where I was going to ask you to go, but you did it. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I could sit in one of those cars in a race. I'm not very good in the right side of a car. I've been on two racetracks. As a passenger, and both times the cars crashed. So it's like, I, I have this thing, I like third time's a charm. I don't, third time could be a disaster, but that's pretty cool that you would put yourself in that position because, oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine that. Well, it's easy for me to say that, you know, sitting here today, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. if, if, 
if it actually was going to happen, I'm sure I'd probably feel a little bit different. Maybe after a few laughs, you'd go, okay, I'm ready to get out. Can we pit, please? Yeah, it, it, it's been 10 plus years of, of since that happened. So it's easy for me to say that now. Yeah, you know? it's a fun fantasy for sure. Well, you've taken us on another great ride today, Kelly, and I'm so happy you came back to visit. Uh, congratulations uh, on your first book. I'm sure there's more in the future, no doubt. Uh, again, I'll put links to all for all you listeners to get your hands on this book. Uh, one of those great reference books as well, but there's a lot of fun, a lot of illustrations, a lot of photographs, a lot of facts and figures. I mean, they take you all over the place. So I think it's cool. Before I let you go, though, could you share maybe some uh, words of inspiration, uh, some kind of thing to leave us with before we uh, head off to the next racetrack? Oh, gosh, really put me on the spot. So I don't know if I shared this the last time, but so maybe it'll be a repeat. But um, there's yeah, there's two things that I always remind myself of. And these are not original things. These these are things that I've learned from other people. The first one is the saying from Glennon Doyle, she's an author and a philanthropist that she said, we can do hard things. And I just really love that saying, you can apply it to anything, we can do hard things. And just whatever is going on in your life, in your job, in your day. That's what it is. Because listen, life in general, not just jobs, but life in general is messy and emotional. And this world is crazy. So I always try to remind myself, we can do hard things when it's just you're feeling really overwhelmed. The second thing is, uh, and I don't know if I got this from someone or it's just something that I've, I've gathered in general from listening to, to folks on, and their advice, but be here now, which is just be present, be present in whatever you're doing, focus on that task, be all in and just Give whatever it is that you have to your full attention, whether it's a conversation or a project, just be present, be here in the moment, whether it's a job or something you have going on in life. Um, I've tried to use that to just slow myself down because I'm one of those that, again, sometimes in life, it just gets really overwhelming. You feel like you have a hundred things to do and you're working on one thing and your mind starts to wander to the seven other things you have going on or you're doing an interview like this, but again, your mind starts to wander of other things you could be doing or have to be doing. So I, I've worked really hard again to just be here now, be present in, be present in the moment and whatever you're doing and give that your attention. So those are my two two things. And I have those written out actually uh, here at my desk and I, and I have them sticking up on the wall to, to always remind myself of. Important. Very well said. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, more people could do that. One of the first things you can do is put that phone down or put it in your pocket or turn it off when you're with somebody. You know, you see people having dinner and you look across the room and you go, have they even spoken to each other since they <laughs> sat down? You know, it's really shameful sometimes. How can people learn more about, let's start with the Racing Writers Podcast. Where can they find you? Yeah, Racing Writers Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. So, Apple, Google, Spotify, I think those are the biggest ones where most of my listeners are coming from. But you can also find it on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and uh, other platforms. I'm always linking it on social media. So if you follow me on Twitter or Facebook, uh, you'll see links for it. My social handles are all are the same all over the place. So it's just at Kelly Crandall, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, um, make sure you as I always say on the podcast, make sure you're looking for the public Facebook page. You won't find anything if you send me a friend request. I'm hardly ever on there, but I have a public page just for all of my work. Uh, you can just search my name for that as well. Instagram's the same thing, LinkedIn. So I'm pretty lucky. All my handles are the same. Uh, you can find me basically anywhere. 
Awesome. Great. I'll put all those links on Kelly's show notes page. Give her a listen. Give her a shout out. Give her a look. Uh, This is one busy young lady for sure. Absolutely. And I want to do a big uh, shout out. Thank you to our friend Steve and the whole team at Quarto Motorbooks uh, for making this book possible as well. They bring so many great guests here on Cars Yeah and produce so many cool books. I think half my library is motorbooks, seems like these days. So very cool. Kelly, thanks for taking a little pit stop with us today. Congratulations on this new book. Until you and I talk again, maybe with the next book, I'll see you down the road. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate you letting me talk about the book. And as you said, this is going to be a great reference guide for folks. So 75 years of NASCAR, what a milestone. And uh, it was truly an honor to to be a part of something that's going to go down in history. So thanks, of course, for having me and uh, letting me talk about how exciting it was. You're always welcome here on Cars. Yeah. Great to talk to you again. You take care. Did you know that less than 3% of all automotive technicians in the United States are women? You may not be surprised, but you should be concerned because our country is facing a massive technician shortage right now. Skilled, qualified techs are in high demand, and we need young women and men to consider these careers as a viable path to a fulfilling life. I've interviewed hundreds of women in the automotive sector here on Cars Yeah, and I know that women make great techs. That's why I support the nonprofit TechForce Foundation and its Women Techs Rock initiative to ensure women see themselves in the profession, the industry, and the workforce. Learn more at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!